Welcome to Enemies of the People. A podcast about extremism in the 21st century. Hello, frenemies. It's me, Maria Norris. It probably comes as no surprise to you that I adore science fiction. My favorite stories involve a blend of the ancient and the futuristic, and movies such as Stargate and The Fifth Element are some of my all-time favorites. I was also completely... As a result, I was also a big fan of the ancient alien shows on the Discovery Channel. I thoroughly enjoyed all of the bonkers theory, seeing it as essentially another form of harmless sci-fi. But soon I started coming across criticism of the show, primarily from people of color calling out ancient alien theory for its inherent racism, and I couldn't look at it the same way again. Later on as I started navigating far-right channels as part of my research, I started seeing ancient alien theories coming up over and over again in neo-Nazi discourse, and I really wanted to understand why. So I reached out to our guest today, archaeologist Steph Halmhofer, for some answers. Steph's research focuses on the connections between pseudo-archaeology, i.e. ancient aliens, and the far right. Her research is fascinating and ties in with cults, conspiracy theories, QAnon, fascism, and a lot of the themes we cover on this podcast. I really hope you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I think it's clear from the recording that I'm having a whale of a time and I could continue asking staff questions for eternity. Now, without further ado, here's Steph. My name is Steph Helmhofer. I am an archaeologist and PhD student in Canada. I'm from the west coast of Canada, and I've worked in archaeology as an archaeologist across Canada for a number of years between degrees for going back from my PhD. And my PhD is really on North American archaeology, North American pseudo-archaeology, conspiratorial movements, and kind of how they all come together to help people, I guess, how people use pseudo-archaeology to kind of create these like socio-political identities and how it sort of reinforces, builds, expands upon various ideologies, conspiratorial ideologies. So that kind of thing. Full disclosure, I was obsessed with the Ancient Aliens TV show when it came out a few years ago. I am a huge nerd. I love science fiction. And um, when growing up, I wanted to be an archaeologist and I was obsessed with Egypt and all of those things. So mixing the two, you know, the sci-fi aspects and ancient Egypt for me was incredible. And I really enjoyed watching the early seasons of the Ancient Aliens TV show on the Discovery Channel. But as I started doing my PhD and doing research on white nationalism and white supremacy, I started seeing these articles talking about how ancient aliens was very racist. And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, that makes perfect sense. It is a a racist concept. But then I came across your work and the argument that you're making is not only that it is racist, but that it is dangerous because of how it merges with them with white nationalism and things like that. So can you expand a little bit more on that? Why is ancient aliens so dangerous as a concept? You know, I'll preface it by saying I will never be mad at anyone who is swept up in ancient aliens and other pseudo-archaeological shows, theories about Atlantis, for example. It's interesting. And like you say, it's it's kind of this like sci-fi element to it that really captures people's attention. They're entertaining. 
and they're so accessible. It, you you turn on the TV and you can find a gazillion different shows about ancient aliens theories, Atlantis theories. You go to the bookstore and you find these books on the bookshelves. There's a gazillion websites, accessible websites to it. I'm never going to be mad at anyone who was swept up in this because sometimes the the racist elements and these racist undertones aren't very obvious. Like sort of you were just explaining, right? Sometimes you you have to kind of think about it in a slightly different way. And then suddenly it's just, once you see it, you can't unsee it. So yeah, ancient aliens theories, which is this idea that humans in the past, extraterrestrials came down to earth in the past and, and either built these monumental structures or taught everybody how to build it, gave them technology, genetically modified humans to create the humans we see today. That's sort of in a nutshell, ancient aliens theory. And the problem with it is that it kind of, it, it continually disenfranchises certain people around the world. So basically anyone who's not white is at risk of being told that their ancestors were extraterrestrials who built all this stuff because these people couldn't possibly build it themselves. And when you go through the really popular books and, and shows that pump these, these theories out or, or that the show Ancient Aliens is based off of the book Chariots of the Gods, which is a very famous book. When you look at the breakdown of the examples of, of who is being told they their ancestors couldn't possibly do it versus who's kind of being left alone, the, the racist elements become super obvious. And so it, it continue, these theories continually create this doubt for Black folks and Indigenous folks and, and Asian folks. And like I said, anybody who's not sort of from central southwestern europe um or western europe um and because this doubt is constantly being created about these folks and their their history it sort of opens the doors for white nationalists to kind of seize that opportunity and be like okay yeah so we've been telling you all along that these people couldn't do it and here's more evidence that they couldn't do it so I see some white nationalists, including or, or talking about ancient aliens theories. Most of them um, seem to go towards Atlantis, things like Atlantis um, and the Slutrian. But then there are some folks who, some white nationalists who talk about ancient aliens theories. But what they say is like, yeah, you're, you're finding all this evidence of this ancient civilization, this ancient, super powerful, amazing, um, technologically advanced civilization. But it's not aliens that you found. You just need to recognize that these are actually white Aryans that you found. So that's where I see this stuff popping up. What is it about Atlantis that is so attractive to white nationalist groups? There is a long history leading up to um, the Atlantis that we know today is, is not the Atlantis as it was written. So um, to try to sort of quickly sum it up, Plato, this ancient Greek philosopher, writes this allegorical tale about this incredible continent called Atlantis. And he wrote this over 2000 years ago. And it was like this amazing, amazing place and huge temples and gold and silver and all these amazing structures and, and materials in this just ginormous island. And the the Atlanteans got into a fight with Athens and then Atlanteans lost and, and Poseidon destroyed the city as punishment. So that's kind of what Plato wrote. To be honest, he didn't really write a lot about Atlantis. It's like a couple of paragraphs within these, these stories. That, so that was over 2,000 years ago. 
And just over time, it has sort of begun to morph into this story of these like basically supernatural beings who are are very tall and very white skinned and blue eyed, having influenced cultures all around the world or even become their ancestors. And a lot of that comes from Helena Blavatsky's work, the the theosophical doctrines that she wrote. So in the late 1800s, late mid 1800s, Helena Blavatsky co-founded the Theosophical Society. And it was based off of these occult cosmologies that she wrote about the history of the world. And to Blavatsky, humanity went through just millions and millions of years of evolution, starting with, and she called these all the root races. There were seven root races. Each root race had seven sub races. So the first root race were the Polarians. They uh, transitioned into the second root race, the Hyperboreans, who transitioned into the Lemurians, who transitioned into the Atlanteans, and the Atlanteans transitioned into the fifth and the most amazing of all the root races, the Aryans. This sort of came about at this time or or became really popular at this time when Germany was undergoing this this massive re-enchantment and kind of trying to figure out their history, reimagine their history to some degree. And it sort of just got swept up into all of that stuff and development of Nazism and and neo-Nazis today are stealing from neo-Nazis during the war. And, And so that's kind of how Atlantis gets wrapped up to a lot of this, this idea of this, the basically the ancestors of the, the Aryans. And if the Aryans were so amazing, then the Atlanteans had to also be just incredibly amazing. So that's kind of in a very, very basic mm-hmm. nutshell, how Atlantis kind of gets wrapped up into this. On the last season of the podcast, we had Abby Richards on. Abby is a TikTok disinformation researcher. And one of the things that she talked about was about Hyperborea and how huge mm-hmm. that conspiracy theory of Hyperborea is on TikTok as an example of how um, much neo-Nazi content that is very deeply coded is present on, on TikTok. Would you say that one of the dangers of, of pseudo-archaeology is that is a lot of it is very clearly rooted in white nationalism and neo-Nazi, but it is coded and cloaked in this mystical, and we'll get into spirituality in a bit, but in this mystical and science fiction, ancient civilization type of, of rhetoric and story. So you can suck people in without even realizing until they've gone too far. Yes, exactly. I love Abby's videos. They are so good. And she's so good at explaining these concepts. And and her Hyperborea video in particular is just so spot on. And it's yeah, it's exactly what you said. It's these, it's coded. It's more often than not, the the racist underpinnings are are very subtle and not overly in your face so and and it does sort of because it is so popular and and kind of silly and hyped up through these dramatic commercials and and promotions and all this stuff people just view this as as entertainment and I see it all the time when I'm talking about the problems with ancient aliens and people are like well you know it's just it's silly it's it's fun it's entertainment but it's it's not and I think we need to start recognizing that we can't just keep brushing this stuff off as just entertainment because it happens to be on a TV show with this dramatic narrator and intense music and and special effects. We sort of need to start really accepting that people do believe in this. And in North America and in the United States in particular, the the number, the percentage of people who believe in things like ancient aliens and, and Atlantis, that percentage has gone up a lot over the past several years. 
So it's almost just over half, just over 50% of Americans believe places like Atlantis, including Atlantis once existed, almost 50% of Americans believe in ancient aliens theory. So people do believe in this stuff. And, and these shows being so subtle and these books being mostly subtle about those really harmful aspects, it just, yeah, it just kind of slides it in under the radar. And there, there are some examples of really overt racist comments within pseudo-archaeology. There's one of Eric Von Daniken's books. He, he's, makes very anti-Black statements. And there's another book about ancient giants, evidence for ancient giants in the Americas. And this man also is making very anti-Indigenous statements very overtly. But yeah, most of it is kind of subtle and it just slips in under the radar and people aren't recognizing that and they're latching onto it and it's just building and building and building. So yeah, that's, that is exactly how you describe it. It's a big problem. It's interesting as well, because it seems like almost as if from my experience of engaging in ancient alien theory, it seems that the, you know, the neo-Nazi aspects of things are just one step removed from the public facade of it. Exactly, exactly. And it's also a big part of the issue, too, is who are, who else are these, these authors or these show creators introducing their audience to? So maybe the, the book South author itself isn't making these very overt statements, but they're citing Nazis or they're citing people who are open white nationalists. I've seen that recently in a book I've been going through about for a paper I'm writing about QAnon and pseudo-archaeology, how it's embraced by QAnon. And I'm reading this book by this, this man who has is, is full into the ancient aliens theories and he's got a very popular YouTube channel and, and he is sort of a, a not a, a massive QAnon influencer, but he is considered a QAnon influencer. And I was reading through his book and he starts talking about this, this other man who is a very overt white nationalist. He, he proclaims himself to be a white nationalist. He's somebody I mentioned in that article about ancient aliens and, and white nationalism. So this author is just like, yeah, man, this guy's got some good points and you should read his book and learn from him about what he's saying. Meanwhile, this guy has written a book about archaeological evidence for Aryans in North America and writes for white nationalist websites. So that's also the concern is who else are these pseudo-archaeologists connecting their audience to. Ancient Aliens is produced by the Discovery Channel, so it gives this layer of authenticity to it. And the people who are in the show are presented as experts. You know, they have, yes, they have the dramatic music and the special effects, but the way that they present the the talking heads, they are presented as experts in the field. So you might see somebody and um, you want to read their book and then you go and you read their book and you want to know more about it and you end up in this rabbit hole that leads you quite far. I see a lot of the talking heads for these these people who are being portrayed as experts in ancient aliens. I see them popping up all over the place in these forums, in YouTube shows, um, or videos. Like, they, yeah, they just, I, I swear, like every other person I see mentioning anything about the ancient world, I can trace them back to appearing in ancient aliens. And this this author who I was just mentioning, whose book I'm reading, he was on Ancient Aliens for a long time. I think he's been in like over 80 episodes of the show. Um, so yeah, it's that those connections are are problematic. And this idea of like you were just talking about how these these folks in these shows and and books are being portrayed as the experts, and the show is hyping them up as the experts. And you listen to them talking about all this supposed archaeological evidence for whatever the 
the episode is about. Sometimes they're not even about extraterrestrials. But within that, they're also these these guys are also saying, you know, we're the expert, but don't listen to the archaeologists. They're all lying to you. They're all trying to hide this truth. And then also just this other side idea I've been thinking a lot about, too, is the gendered aspect and how women in I mean, all fields, archaeology is not alone in this, but women in archaeology, I mean, we struggle to be taken seriously. We still struggle to be taken as seriously as the men who are counterparts, not just women, all marginalized genders. And when you watch these shows like Ancient Aliens, I always take note of how many men versus folks who aren't men are on the show. And I think about how does that also contribute to the struggles that marginalized genders are facing and just trying to do our jobs and be taken seriously. So there's also that aspect as well. Something else that I find interesting is that I'm not trying to suggest, and I'm sure that you're not trying to suggest that everyone who's appeared in ancient aliens is a secret neo-Nazi, but that their work is contributing to this narrative of white nationalism and they themselves are not doing anything to stop it. Yeah. Exactly. Whether it's ancient aliens theories or Atlantis theories, like not everybody who buys into these is a neo-Nazi or a white nationalist. Absolutely. The the issue that I'm seeing that I'm trying to raise awareness to is, is that these are connections that are happening. These these theories are being connected or, or used for the purposes, for harmful purposes, whether it's neo-Nazism, white nationalism, anything. So the problem is that that's not being confronted and it's perpetuating these issues under this like sort of trying to brush it off as like it's just silly harmless fun like what we were just talking about so nobody feels the need to confront it and that is the problem and I've seen this from archaeologists too who I understand it's difficult to confront it and and it can be quite scary when you're sort of trying to critique or deconstruct arguments from very powerful very dangerous people so I understand why there's at times hesitation to confront it. But I do think we need to confront it. We need to talk about it. We need to deconstruct this. And if an archaeologist is seeing their work being used for these harmful purposes, I say something about it. And I remember reading an article from with an interview with an archaeologist who is involved in this theory called the Salutrine Hypothesis, which is very popular with white nationalists. This idea that between like 22 and 17,000 years ago, these Salutrian folks from Southwestern Europe, so they were people who were living in Southwestern Europe, like France and Portugal and Spain. They are known for a very particular style of uh, lithic tool. It's it's quite a beautiful spear point and, and projectile points. They're very beautiful. And they're also known for their very intricate artwork, just amazing amazing artwork. And so the Salutrian hypothesis suggested that these Salutrian folks 17 to 22,000 years ago made it to the East Coast of North America. There was an ice bridge over the Atlantic that they partially crossed on the ice. They partially used boats. They came to North America and settled here. And it's entirely based off of a couple of points that were found on the East Coast of the United States that look like Salutrian points. And so the, the hypothesis has been criticized by archaeologists for a long, long time. Where the white nationalism comes into is this idea that white Europeans were here first. And the Salutrian hypothesis is used as and so there was a documentary on the Discovery Channel, again, in 2005 about the Salutrine hypothesis. And in this documentary, it used entirely white actors, despite the fact that ancient genetic evidence suggests that people living in Europe at that point in time likely had darker skin. 
this documentary used all white actors and folks noticed that and all of a sudden it has become super embraced within white nationalist circles. Kyle Bristow wrote a novel, White Apocalypse, was based off the Slutrine hypothesis. It pops up on Stormfront a lot. The CBC here in Canada, um, a big broadcasting service, a national broadcasting service, had another sort of documentary episode about the Salutrine hypothesis. And right off the bat, archaeologists were concerned because we knew how white nationalists had really adopted this theory. And so a lot of folks were like, are you going to talk about that aspect? You should talk about that aspect and, and make it clear that that's not okay. And so the show that this documentary series, the, the director made it clear that was not going to be included in the show because she claimed that she didn't want to give any airtime to this theory and that somehow would make it better by not talking about it would somehow make it better. And so this newspaper had interviewed her and also interviewed one of the archaeologists who was involved in this, who has been a proponent of this theory. And they basically asked him about his thoughts regarding this white nationalism uh, or white nationalist adoption of his theory. And he literally said, that is not my issue. That's not my problem. And I just, that, that comment just sticks with me so much because I think that it is our issue and not talking about it and not making it clear that that's not okay is, is part of, of the contribution to that issue. So I always think back to his comment and it just bothers me so much because it, it is our issue. We need to say something about it. How we confront it is the next step that we need to figure out. How do we deconstruct these, these essentially archaeological conspiracy theories without feeding directly into that stigmatized knowledge mindset. That's kind of where I'm at right now is thinking about how can we how can we confront without amplifying and how can we deconstruct without just further adding to this. Hi frenemies. I like to be honest with you on the show, so I will start by saying that I've had a really difficult week. I've been having some issues at work that have me feeling really discouraged and wondering if what I do matters, if anyone cares about my work, about my writing, about what I have to say. Would anyone care if I stopped? And it's been a hard week, but one thing that has kept me going is you. Really, you the listener, knowing that you care about this podcast and how much you love and support the show has been such a bomb this week. And working on this episode has really, really helped me feel better. So thank you so much. I wanted to take this time to also remind you that our next Frenemies Book Club will meet on Saturday the 5th of February at 9.30pm and we will be discussing Strongman by Ruth Van Giat. If you hadn't had a chance to listen to last week's episode with Ruth, please do so. And remember, in order to join our book club, just become a monthly supporter over at Coffee, and you can also begin with a chance to win a free copy of Strongman if you buy as a one-off coffee. The link is in the episode description. I also just wanted to say, please continue to rate and review our show. With your help, we've managed to break through the top 100 UK politics podcast chart <laughs> for the first time this season. We are ranking at 60. This may not sound like a lot, but there are thousands of politics podcasts. The rankings themselves only start at 250, and ranking the top 100 is a big deal. 
or at least it is to me, so thank you for getting me there. Please continue to share with everyone you know, and together we will continue to cement our place in the charts. I honestly believe in the show, and I am so grateful to all of you for believing in it too. And now, back to the show. How does the field of archaeology as a whole approach the problem of pseudo-archaeology? Do you think most of them do dismiss it as fringe and like not a concern, we don't want to give it any oxygen? Or do you think the field is starting to take it seriously as something that they need to address? as well. Like they have their own bit of housekeeping to do. I mean, archaeology has a lot of issues. We have this terrible legacy of of colonialism and and contributing to all these. And those are issues we are still very much coming to to reckon with and and deal with. So within that is this issue of pseudo-archaeology. And for a very long time, archaeologists did just sort of brush this aside. And I still see this, this attitude today of like, well, it's just silly. It's not worth our time. Like, Honestly, who actually believes that aliens came and built Machu Picchu, that kind of thing, because these series are so outlandish. But over the past few decades, archaeology has begun recognizing pseudo-archaeology more and more and recognizing it as a, a legitimately serious problem. And yeah, I would say, especially within the last last few years, say five or six years in particular, I've noticed this really big push to really break down pseudo-archaeology, really start to define it, really start to understand where it's appearing, how it's appearing, how it's being spread, how it's being used. So I think archaeologists are really starting to pay more and more attention to it. Part of that is through social media. Social media for all its faults, also has really wonderful aspects to it. And Twitter in particular is where I see a lot of these conversations happening um, because there's this big archaeology community on Twitter. You can chat with each other all around the world, talk about what you're seeing and, and how you're seeing this pop up. And I think through that, this, this issue has become been brought to the forefront and people are starting to take it much more seriously. It's baby steps, right? I mean, as you said, as a field, there is the field of archaeology was built on colonialism and and, and the empire. So there is a lot of self-reflection and deconstruction that needs to happen. And that I imagine the old guard in the field, like the old guard of any field, is less willing willing to give it the serious thinking that it needs. And, And it's not even necessarily just an old guard. I mean, the old guard is still there and and that gatekeeping aspect is still there. There are still archaeologists I see popping up today who are very engaged in perpetuating these colonial aspects of of archaeology. I mean, for all my critiques about pseudo-archaeology, there are still archaeologists who feed directly into white nationalism. One in particular I can think of is actually very closely connected to the pseudo-archaeology world through her partner, who is a big ancient aliens theorist. There are still a few archaeologists out there who do perpetuate these really awful aspects of archaeology, and they also happen to have very loud voices as they're crying about how they're being cancelled in all these right-wing outlets and these websites and on their Twitter feeds and in their books they're writing and getting their voices out. It's funny, isn't it, that um, all those people who are silenced 
tend to get book deals and go on television and yeah. and have really yeah. really good platforms. It would be nice to be silenced like that. <laughs> yeah, they're they're pretty loud for being silent. One of the things that I've really seen more and more prop up in white nationalism in the UK is QAnon, and mm-hmm. which started as a very North American, very American issue, and yeah. and we spoke in in. In, in the last season of the podcast about QAnon with several of our speakers as well, several of our guests. And I just find it fascinating, fascinating how much QAnon has grown and become almost like a movement of its on its own. And mm-hmm. you wrote as well about the connections between QAnon and the uh, pseudo-archaeology. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, especially using um the January insurrection as like a case study of the links between mm-hmm. QAnon and pseudo-archaeology. I mean, I definitely call QAnon a movement. I think it's at the point now that it is a movement and it is just enormous. Dapper, Dapper Gander on Twitter and, and Patreon has written this wonderful article about the different factions and sort of, I guess, subgroups, subcommunities within QAnon and their different beliefs. And that's where we see pseudo-archaeology becoming really embraced. And we know folks who believe in, in one set of conspiracy beliefs tend to believe in in others. It's not just a, a singular thing. So yeah, stemming from the the January insurrection, I think most folks know Jacob Chance uh, Chansley or, or Jake Angeli, as he was called. He used to be known as the QAnon shaman. He became a very visible part of the January insurrection with the big horns, the big Norse tattoos. Um, he put out several videos on YouTube exploring his own or describing his own conspiracy beliefs. And he was very much in the the Q, what Dabberganer calls the Q age side of things, the more spiritual side of things and the new age side of things. And, and he talked a lot about pseudo-archaeology in his videos, this idea of um, ancient civilizations, these, these very advanced civilizations. Sometimes he tied them into extraterrestrials. Other times he talked a lot about Atlantis and tied them into Atlantis. And so starting from, from his videos and looking more into it, if you look at the the Q web, which was developed by Dylan Monroe as this kind of, how do I describe the Q web? It is a thing. It is this huge map, I guess, of conspiracy beliefs and how they all connect to one another and eventually lead down to the QAnon beliefs. It, it starts the very top left corner at the very front is Atlantis. It starts with Atlanta and you wind your way through and you can find other theories in there related to pseudo-archaeology and or even other theories that when you see them on paper, you your pseudo-archaeology is in your first thought. Let's say um reptilians, for example, let's talk about David Icke's reptilians for a moment and the new world order. And when you dig into those and the evidence that he's using to support his beliefs, there are the pseudo-archaeological theories involving Mu and Lemuria and and all this stuff. So QAnon just through embracing so many different conspiracy theories, pseudo-archaeology has been swept right up in there. I think at the core of all of these things, and I'm not not the only one to say this, is this concept that you said of this stigmatization of knowledge, right? And the idea that, you know, we're being lied to and the government is not telling you everything and experts are lying to you, which here in the UK played played a huge role in the lead up to the Brexit vote. You know, we even had a government Mm -hmm. minister saying that the public has had enough of experts. So all of these things are intertwined and creating this state of disbelief, which feeds directly into uh, an attraction to conspiracy theories exactly and and with regards to you know archaeology and and pseudo-archaeology it's if people believe that they're being lied to in the present about present events and and present scenarios why would they not 
be lied to about the past? Why would people not be lying about things that happened in the past that perhaps led up to these events that people now think they're being lied to in the present? Um, it is just this very connected web of this concept of stigmatized knowledge that you mentioned. I wanted to ask you to tell us a bit about that streaming network, Gaia. And oh, um, Gaia. yeah, tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gaia. And now simply by saying the word Gaia, we're going to have these really aggressive targeted ads popping up on all of our social media. So be prepared for that. Yeah. New Age, archaeology is really embraced within the New Age. I, I think a lot of that too, I mean, the roots of uh, one of the solid roots of New Age-ism is Blavatsky and Theos and and these concepts of within that these concepts of these ancient civilizations and how that's evolved over time Gaia is yeah Gaia is a website and a YouTube channel that is just like conspiracy theory galore and uh, lots of aliens on Gaia lots of reptilians on Gaia lots of Atlantis on Gaia and there are paid there is a paid subscription if you pay for the website you get access to the full movies all these extra articles but there they do have an open YouTube channel where you can watch shorter clips and shorter movies about just a gazillion different things Gaia a lot of these videos too with regards to like ancient aliens theories, Atlantean theories. It's the, the, what we were talking about earlier, where they're slipping in these subtle racist undertones, where they're describing Atlanteans as these, for example, these very, again, tall, white-skinned, blue-eyed, supernatural, highly advanced beings. And through that, again, it's that connection aspect too, that we were also talking about earlier. I see other pseudo-archaeologists either contributing to Gaia videos uh, or saying, directing their followers to Gaia videos. There's this one self-proclaimed anthropologist, for example, who he was always talking about Gaia's Atlantean videos. He just fully embraces the Nazi versions of Atlantis. And, and he would pump that out on his Twitter and his YouTube channels all the time, sort of that full-fledged white nationalist aspects to his videos. And he was always directing people to Gaia. And so if you have these people that are attracted to your, your videos, because they have this kind of like a preconceived conspiracy belief, and then you're saying, go here to this website, that's where you're going to find even more evidence. And Gaia is telling you all these things, then it's just, yeah, it's just going to further red pill people, basically. I was watching a Gaia video the other day. I tweeted about it where this guy proclaimed to have evidence of giants. He had found skeletal remains of giants, he claimed. And I was looking at this video and it included these photos and Gaia helped pay for part of the research into these, these skeletal remains, supposed skeletal remains that they claimed the DNA results proved that these were giant people. He had cow teeth and he had taken these cow teeth and put it in this clay mold. So it looked, it was in the shape of a human mandible, but they were cow teeth. But for like an unsuspecting audience, maybe, I mean, I know what cow teeth look like because as an archaeologist, I have seen plenty of cow teeth in my day. If somebody doesn't know what cow teeth looks like and you've got this channel that's kind of looking somewhat legit or, or portraying themselves as these legit purveyors of, of this hidden knowledge, it's kind of not hard to believe that somebody would fall into that. And Gaia is very well produced. It looks expensive. It looks very expensive. It doesn't look like somebody yep. did it in a basement. And I think exactly. that plays a role again with legitimacy. I wanted to come back to this question of legitimacy as well, because, you know, we were, we were talking about the Discovery Channel ending these um, theories, legitimacy, and you mentioned the CBC with their own documentary. 
And it made me think about the BBC here in the UK and how the BBC in the UK is airing out is giving a lot of oxygen to a lot of transphobia and and very dangerous transphobic articles. And when we have these dangerous ideas that were ideally, not ideally, that were originally considered to be fringe, being given the air of legitimacy by being portrayed in these respected, trusted networks, that it makes very difficult to challenge them. It does. It really does. And and even I'm thinking too, as you were talking about that, I'm thinking about this, this idea that pop culture is really embraced by conspiracy theorists and pop culture, just say videos like Contact or The Matrix is a classic within conspiracy theories, pop culture being seen as hiding these, these truthful aspects. In it. And when you know what you're looking for, suddenly you can see all this knowledge that's been hidden within these movies and these TV shows. And those are just fictional shows. So when you suddenly start talking about these things or showing these things on non-fictional sources like BBC or CBC, which is basically like the BBC, yeah, it just continues to add this legitimacy because now all of a sudden this knowledge isn't being hidden in this pop culture. It's being brought right to the forefront and presented. And it does make confronting this and challenging this these these issues very difficult and it's interesting as well because pop culture plays such a big role as well in making these ideas interesting i mean i can think of of indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull for example and one of my favorite movies of all time stargate which is Mm -hmm. ancient aliens in egypt which is my it's my jam it's egypt that i love and and science fiction and these kinds of watching those those movies growing up especially Stargate, which was also my dad's favorite movie. So I watched it hundreds of times as a kid. It really prepped me to be open to watching Asian Aliens as a young adult and a teenager. And uh, obviously, I didn't go any further into the the white nationalism, neo-Nazi part of it. I'm not suggesting that anybody would straight follow that. But I think we need to consume our pop culture critically. You know, you can enjoy this as a piece of fiction and a piece of science fiction and not take it as gospel and not use it as a launch pad to question whether or not really there are Aryans living in frozen in Antarctica, which is the hyperborea theory as well, which is, you know, in isolation, if you take, remove the neo-Nazi out of it, it's an interesting sci-fi story. You know, this ancient civilization that was been buried in ice, et cetera, but these things don't exist in isolation, right? That's the key. Yep, exactly. Context is everything. That's what we say in, in archaeology. Context is is so important. You find a projectile point, great. It doesn't really tell you much without its context. And, and so it's the same thing I think about this when I am talking about things like Atlantis and its connections to neo-Nazis. You know, somebody believing in Atlantis doesn't automatically make them a neo-Nazi. It's that other context. Look at what else they're they're into. And yeah, pop culture is so interesting because I, I used to see, and Stargate in particular, I mean, Stargates, the idea of Stargates are a really big part of New Ageism and being blended with these, these ancient alien theories. I see it all the time. And the interesting thing about pop culture is there used to be, I, I, there is still to some degree, but there used to be this really obvious sort of divide so say stargates for example you'd have stargate the movie this fictional pop culture fun adventure and then you'd have people separately talking about stargates as this real thing and and these go to this archaeological site you can find a stargate that'll transport you to mars that kind of thing um 
And I've really noticed over the past couple of years in particular, there's now this like this blend happening where something is portrayed in pop culture and then you've got somebody involved, uh, somebody is invited to involve or to, to portray it in this pop culture. So I'm thinking, for example, what's that show? Alien. It's a new show and it's about aliens. Um, it's on NBC <laughs> and it's about this, uh, yeah, just this alien trying to exist in the world. And there was an episode recently where Giorgio Sukulos, who's the host of the main host of Ancient Aliens, the guy with the big hair and the, the hair. Yeah, exactly. He was invited to participate in an episode of this this fictional show, which is based on a comic. It's originally from a comic. He was invited to to participate in an episode of the show, sort of playing himself. But then in subsequent interviews with him about the show, and somebody asked, like, what would you recommend to the audience of the show if they want to learn more? And he's pushing them towards all these pseudo-archaeological authors and books and shows. So I'm seeing that blend happening with, with pop culture where they're trying to like incorporate these real elements, these real life elements into pop culture, which is just directing people straight to these, these conspiracies. There's a, a comic series that I'm also writing a paper on that's all about pseudo-archaeological theories. It's entirely based off pseudo-archaeology. It's called Arc World, A-R-K world. They just released their third volume. I haven't read their third volume yet, but at the back of the first issue, they have a list of recommended reads for audience members who want to learn more about what they've seen in this comic. And it doesn't include a single archaeologist. It directs them straight to pseudo-archaeologists. And the, the comic creators created a small blog where on their own blog, they're also talking about, well, you can't trust those archaeologists. They're just sort of hiding the truth about, you know, we should be asking questions about this kind of thing. And these archaeologists are just hiding the truth. And then at the back of their second volume, they did the same thing. They direct their audience to a particular YouTube channel, which is all about humans couldn't build the pyramids on their own. So I'm seeing, yeah, I'm seeing this like blend from pop culture. You've got this fictional, this seemingly very fictional story. And yet they're directing people to these conspiracy theories or these pseudo-archaeological theories to to learn more. And I've just, yeah, I've seen that starting to happen a bit more and more lately. That is very concerning because one of the key strategies, as it were, of fascism is fomenting a state of unreality where you don't believe things and where the real and the fictional are mixed and you never know who's telling the truth and who you can trust. So it sounds innocuous, but it is not happening in a vacuum, as we say. Yeah, exactly. And again, like, I don't think the creators of the show are are necessarily intentionally doing this um, or consciously doing this. I don't know enough about them to say that, but just without recognizing those harmful aspects of, of what they're inviting into their show and inviting their audience to learn about, that's, that is definitely an issue. Thank you so much. This was so great. And you've clarified so many questions that I had, and I really can't wait to continue following your work and your research and finding out more about it. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed this. That was Steph Halmhofer. You can find her on Twitter at cult underscore archaeo. If you liked our conversation with Steph and want to hear more, Steph and I will be co-hosting a space on Twitter live this Thursday, the 27th of January at 9.30 p.m. UK time. 
Join us as we dive deeper into the issues raised in this episode and also get the opportunity to ask your own questions. I can't wait for this. This is a new thing we're trying for the show, bringing you and the speakers closer and also having the ability to ask more questions. So I'm really looking forward to it and I hope to see you there on Thursday. Thank you also to everyone who took the time to rate and review the show. I would like to share this five-star review we got by listener AJ Fox. They say, I always love to hear rational, grounded, objective discussions around race and culture. Two episodes in and I'm already hooked to enemies of the people. Thanks Maria and the team for a great podcast. Well, thank you, AJ Fox, for such a wonderful review. It made my day, our day. Well, our team consists of me, myself, and I. We all appreciate it, trust me. Are you also enjoying the show? Then please take one minute of your day to rate and review us. Remember, you can also support us by buying us a coffee or becoming a monthly supporter and joining our book club. And never forget how much I appreciate you all for just being here, listening to the show, and giving this little project of mine a chance. Thank you so much. You can find us on Twitter at EnemiesPod. I'm on Twitter at Maria W. Norris. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week for more Enemies of the People. Thank you.